Uh, We've been looking at the Christmas stories, not just one story, but looking at how Matthew and Luke both write their own accounts of the birth of Jesus. They have different details. We saw last time Matthew, a very Jewish account, uh, pays attention to the wise men. We're going to see that Luke actually gives a, uh, the shepherds and gives other parts of the story. Um, Matthew has lots of drama. Are they going to get divorced or not divorced? And what are they going to do when Herod is after the children and they have to flee to Egypt and they flee back? And uh, as we look at Luke, none of that's there. Luke seems more uh, important, on his, more focused on his own themes. And Luke's gospel is really written around testimonies. Testimonies both of the, the Holy Family and of angels and all kinds of other outside characters. In fact, if you go through the, the gospel of Luke, what you're going to find is he flips back and forth between the Holy Family and other people. Holy Family and other people. And you're probably only used to hearing the Holy Family part. The, the birth of Jesus part. But what, what Luke's actually doing is comparing and contrasting the two. And, and he actually takes the birth of John the Baptist and goes back and forth between John the Baptist and Jesus and John the Baptist and Jesus. Um, you just maybe have never read it in that way before. And so today we're going to try to uh, look at the story of Luke. Now, the other thing about Luke's account rather than Matthew's is it's very, very long. Matthew's account is pretty short. In fact, during my sermon last week, I read basically the whole thing. And at Christmas Eve tonight, I'm going to return to Matthew's story. And we're going to read the whole thing in throughout the service. But Luke's, we can't do that. That would be like the whole sermon, just reading it. Okay, you read it on your own. I would encourage you when you get home. But I'm going to just read kind of pieces of it and tell other pieces of the story to try to get you this big picture of the overall thing that Luke is trying to do in the way that he writes about the birth of Jesus. Now, first of all, it's got to be noted that Luke doesn't start with Jesus. He doesn't start with Mary or Joseph. When he starts this whole story, he starts with a priest named Zechariah. Zechariah is married to a woman named Elizabeth. They have been good. They have been righteous people, but they are, uh, they're, they're barren. They have never had any children. And in those days... You know, we live in a day where you, you, people choose not to have children. Okay? But in those days, plenty of people you, you didn't do that. You, you needed to have children to carry on your legacy, carry on your name, carry on uh, your livelihood. And so barrenness, and you see this all throughout the Bible, is a symbol of God's curse. The question is, if you can't have children, what would you do? What did you do that God is cursing you in this way? Or what did your parents do? Or what did your grandparents do that you are not able to have children? In fact, the text a little bit later on refers to the, the reproach Elizabeth felt from the community because she had not had any children. Now, Zechariah is a priest and he would, they, what the priests would do is take shifts. So they'd be there a certain number of days taking care of the temple and then they would return home. He'd be on again, off again in the job. So they go to, he goes to his time in the temple and uh, they cast lots and by chance through the lottery there, he is chosen to go into the holy area to light the candles. Now, the, the, the temple was set up like our sanctuary. So the, that would be where the congregation could be. And you'd go through this curtain into the holy area where there'd be two tables and there'd be a big set of candles like a menorah, actually, like those ones up there, but it'd be in this area. And those had to be oiled regularly because those lights always ran. 
And then there was the Holy of Holies where the, where, uh, the uh, tabernacle was, all kinds of stuff. Well, the Ark of the Covenant was where the priests would go in to care for that once a year. So this is the kind of weekly maintenance on the temple. You might wait your whole life as a priest and never get to go into the holy area. And yet, on this particular day, Zechariah is called upon to go in. And apparently everybody waits outside for him while he's there. He gets there, he's working on the candles, and an angel appears next to the candles. An angel appears to him. And uh, he rightly kind of freaks out. In fact, in all these stories, as angel appears, they always have to say, don't be afraid, fear not. Because when you see an angel, you freak out. That's what you do. Okay? So I'm picking up in chapter 1, verse 13. And the angel said to him, uh, Luke 1, But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You will call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink drink wine or strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him. In the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. I love that, by the way. Don't call your wife old, gentlemen. Okay, I'm old. She's Advanced in years. Okay, that's a good way to say it. Actually, the, the phrase there probably means uh, she's past childbearing age. Okay, she, she can't have children anymore. But angel, this is impossible. Okay. And the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of the Lord and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. The angel says, hey, you know what? You're going to have a child. All your prayers, your whole life of waiting is going to be answered. And this child is going to be a special child. He's going to be the one in the spirit and the power of Elijah. In the Old Testament, Elijah doesn't die. Okay, you can go back and read that story sometime. Elijah and Elisha are there, and Elijah is ch- taken up on a chariot of fire into heaven. Okay, so the belief was that Elijah is going to return And he's going to be the precursor for the Messiah. Before the Messiah comes, Elijah would come back. But we now know, kind of looking back and from the words of the angel, that that it's not Elijah himself that comes back. He's not reincarnated or reborn somehow or doesn't just show up. It's the spirit and power of Elijah. And the angel says to Zechariah, hey, your kid, your kid is that one. Your kid is the forerunner for the Messiah. Yours is the one you guys have all been waiting on. That's yours. Zechariah is smart to not call his wife old, but he is not very smart to talk back to an angel. Okay, when an angel tells you something, just do it. Okay, just do it. He talks back. And interestingly enough, Mary also talks back to the angel. Um, but I think maybe the tone's a little bit different, right? Angel, the, Mary's kind of like, well, how can this be? Because I'm a virgin. Okay, but, but uh, Zechariah is, is sort of arguing back. 
sort of arguing back. Like, no, this can't happen. This isn't. You're wrong. And the angel does not seem to appreciate that very much. And so um, he's actually made, it's clear from later in the text, he's made uh, mute and deaf. He can't hear and he can't speak. And he can't hear and he can't speak until the baby is born. Can you imagine going home to tell your wife about this? Okay. And uh, you can't tell her. <laughs> you can't tell her. And I'm not sure she could read. Okay, I'm not in that culture. Not all women could read. Very few probably could read. Imagine trying to communicate, you know, angel in the temple area. You're going to have a baby. Uh, you know, what are you going to? Probably days to sort this out. In fact, when he comes out, everyone's amazed because they can't figure out what's going on either. She does conceive. And the text says that it will take away her reproach from among the community. Then the scene flips. So this is all Christmas story you've, you, you may have never heard before or barely heard. But Luke is, is interspersing. He's going back and forth. He's splicing in John the Baptist into Jesus' story. Because in verse 30, an angel comes to a girl named Mary. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Mary gets some news too. Okay. An angel comes to her. See, now you start to see how it's a clear comparison. John the Baptist, Jesus, Zechariah and Elizabeth, Mary and Joseph. So Mary gets this angel that comes to her and says, you're going to have a child. She doesn't have the contempt for the news the same way that Zechariah does, but she does have some questions. But she's given a sign. Your relative Elizabeth, that Elizabeth that was before. We're not sure if they're cousins or she's an aunt. There is a big age gap. We know that. But uh, she decides to go see this uh, relative, Elizabeth, who, even though she is advanced in years, has become pregnant. And Mary responds with this beautiful phrase, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. So she has a different kind of response than Zechariah does. Of course, she's young and innocent and hasn't spent years and years with the reproach of the community for not having a child. Right. She hasn't had the conversations to wrestle with God about this. And so maybe that helps her in her innocence, too. So picking up in verse thirty nine, in those days, Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country, to the town, to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. My kids kicked in the womb and it hurt. I can't imagine leaping. Okay, this is probably not comfortable at all. But there you go. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, maybe also related to the leaping. Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. It's amazing, amazing. Zechariah is told by the angel 
that his son that's going to be named John would be filled with the Holy Spirit right from the womb, in the womb. And when Mary comes and speaks a greeting to Elizabeth, John the Baptist starts leaping. And guess what happens to Elizabeth? She is filled with the Holy Spirit. And so even before his birth, John the Baptist is already proclaiming who Jesus is. And here's Mary, here's Elizabeth. She's got this own miracle going on in her womb. But she says, oh my goodness. What does she call him? She calls Mary, her cousin, the mother of my Lord. She recognizes that's the Lord in your womb. Wow. Verse 57. Oh, Mary in there sings this amazing song. Um, as um, uh, it's called the Magnificat. I don't have time. It's really rich in Old Testament imagery. I encourage you to read it later. It's beautiful. Um, I just don't have time uh, to, to get it in. But read her song later. Verse 57. Here's the birth of John the Baptist. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they would call him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. Stop. That's how we know he was also deaf. And if you, if you understand how that works, deaf and mute often go together. Um, but they're making signs trying to get him to say, No, don't you want it to be Zechariah? Don't you want it to be Zechariah? And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue was loosed. And he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all the neighbors. And all these things, all these things were talked about throughout the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. So Zechariah gets his voice back. He finally believes. He calls his name John. But, but look at this. Look at how this whole area of Judea, this whole community and beyond, is already wondering about what's going on here. Even at John the Baptist's birth, he is already making a way for the Lord, preparing the people for Christ to come. Then Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit. You notice the Holy Spirit shows up quite a bit in this gospel, which is interesting because Luke writes the book of Acts. And Acts is all about Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit. But Luke's makes sure to say, now wait a minute, the Holy Spirit was around before Acts. It's just there in a special way in Acts. Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesies about his son. Again, there's probably a sermon just in that in that poetry, in that song, or in that prophecy by Zechariah. I don't have time to go there. Uh, but read it later. Zechariah understands the historical significance of his son as the precursor to the Messiah. And sees the huge role that his son has to play in this larger salvation story. Then as we move into Luke 2, we get probably the most familiar Christmas passage to us. In those days... A decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from, Mer- from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. 
because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Pause. Catch that. Bible's very clear. While they were time, while they were there, the time came. She doesn't just rush in and have the baby that night. They're there. They're there for a little while. Then she has the baby. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, laid him in a manger because there was no space for them in the inn. So Luke gives us this idea of a Roman census. He's aware of this stuff because he's Roman. Matthew is Jewish, so he pays more attention to Jewish stuff. Luke is Roman, uh, probably from the area of Greece or Turkey, and uh, he, um, he's paying more attention to stuff like this. Now, why is there a census? For taxes. Okay? There's, a, there's a changing of the guard taking place in the, the rulership, and so they want to know where the people were so they could rule them better and so that they could tax them better and more accurately. Okay? So whenever there's a census, it's a bad thing for the people. It's a reminder that you're not really as free as you think you are, right? <laughs> April 15th feels like that to us a little bit. This is a little more extreme. You have to actually get up and move and know that up to a half of your income, if they were at war, might have to go to the government. So after they were there, Mary has her miraculous baby. And in light of what Luke has told us about John the Baptist, we can see that Jesus is this Messiah that John was preparing the way for. While Mary and Joseph are going through their birth, there are these shepherds watching their flocks at night. Angels come to them and we get another beautiful testimony about what is happening. They say that the Savior, Christ the Lord, is born in Bethlehem and laying in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. And more angels come and start singing. They praise God. And the shepherds decide to go check out this baby. They go and see the little child and then go back to their field singing praise and glory and honor. See, there's all this testimony going on. We keep going to the Holy Family and then we keep getting perspective from other pieces, from other people, from other places, celebrating who this Jesus is. Several days later, Mary and Joseph are take, take Jesus to the temple to make a sacrifice of thanksgiving and blessing for him. Let me pick up the story in chapter 2, verse 25. This is a part of the birth story, the, the, the nativity story, I'm almost sure most of you have never heard before. Okay, It's the testimony of Simeon. You all know Simeon, right? Now, most people don't even read this, but Luke gives it to us as part of the birth narrative. Now, there was a man from Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. There's the Holy Spirit again. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took, up his arm, took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people, Israel. I wonder if people called him crazy old Simeon. This old guy, supposedly the Holy Spirit told, he wouldn't die until he had seen the Lord's salvation. And he's wondering, uh, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? I keep kind of waiting for it. Just like Israel, he's waiting and he's waiting and he's waiting. And then this day, he's led by the Holy Spirit and he takes up the baby Jesus in his arms. Sings this praise song, 
or uh, says this poem or says this prophecy, whatever it actually was at the time, to say, look at the salvation of Israel, but not just Israel. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people, Israel. See, we get another testimony. See, we went back to the family, we went to the temple, then we get a testimony there. And in fact, there's another testimony, the testimony of a prophetess named Anna, who testifies about Jesus, though we don't get her, her actual words, but speaks of the redemption that the people were waiting for. Then Mary and Joseph return to Nazareth. Jesus grows up, and when we next catch him, he's a little boy teaching at the temple when his parents lose sight of him. Now, you've heard the Christmas story many times, okay? But how many of you have heard all these pieces of it? A lot of them you probably have not or have not heard them really emphasized. But do you see what Luke is doing? He's going back and forth. He's going back and forth trying to compare John the Baptist and Jesus. Shepherds get a voice and Simeon gets a voice and all these other people are testifying about who this baby is. It's so beautiful how Luke weaves this together. And I encourage you to read the whole thing somewhere over the holiday here. Read all that Luke does to sort of weave these together because it's a harmony. It's a harmony. We get this main story that you've heard about Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. But we get all these other stories that are, that are harmonizing, that are giving different notes, different comments to help explain what's going on in the birth narrative. Read it over these holidays. Read it sometime today or this evening or tomorrow morning. But let me just pull out a few things real quick. First of all, look at how much Luke is tying John the Baptist to Jesus. John the Baptist enhances the birth and the story of Jesus because he also has a miraculous birth. And yet his mother looks back and says to Mary that you're the, the mother of my Lord. John is in his birth. He's in the womb even proclaiming who Jesus is. And he's going to keep doing that as they get older. And he's going to baptize Jesus. And his followers are eventually going to follow Jesus. He's the last of the Old Testament prophets. And he's pointing to this Jesus, even from the womb, and saying, this is the guy we've been waiting for. This is the one that was promised. And Luke does such a beautiful job of weaving that together. Notice the place of the Holy Spirit. How many times did we mention the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit... Well, it didn't just come at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit, Luke is making very clear because he wrote both books, that the Holy Spirit is part of all of that. He's part of all of that. But it gives a special note to think about Pentecost at Christmas because at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes to us in a new and fresh way. The Holy Spirit doesn't just come upon Mary and then leave. Come upon Zechariah, leave. Somebody's filled with the Holy Spirit. and not. You are filled with the Holy Spirit now. The Holy Spirit is with you now in this special way. So if you get to read it again, pay attention to the Holy Spirit at work in this. Notice, number three, the marginal voices that carry the story. Okay, It's not kings that carry the story. Okay, There's no big announcement. There's no social media campaign. There's no, I mean, none of that. Who gets to tell the story? Just the priest named Zechariah. Pretty ordinary guy. His wife, Elizabeth, who is barren and probably not real treated real well in the community. Oh, and there's some shepherds. Yeah, they were not key to the community. I mean, they were pretty important parts of the economy. Okay, and everybody would have known the shepherds because you would have bought your sheep from them. But they weren't guys you had over for dinner. 
You understand? They weren't important political voices in the community. Okay? They were out doing their work for the community. Oh, and Simeon, you know, the crazy old guy. If you go through and read the whole Gospel of Luke, what you're going to find is that a lot of times women, a lot of times uh, people who are not um, Jewish, a lot of times people who are on the fringe, people who are diseased, fringe people in the Gospel of Luke have voices have voices and say major things about who God is and what God is up to in the world and who Jesus is and what he's up to at that time. So pay attention to the little voices, the non-important voices. Even Mary, just an unimportant young virgin from a community, betrothed, not important character until this happens to her. Most importantly, please try, and as we head into Christmas Eve tonight, Try to think through who this Jesus was that Luke is saying it's so big. He's saying it, it, this is the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the promised one. Not just for Jews, but for Gentiles too, for the whole world. That child is born. That ch- child is born for a purpose. And we get the, the uh, benefit of hindsight to know what that purpose was. Consider it as you go through this Christmas day and eve. Amen.